Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of the show. We're happy to have you here. Before we go any further, I would like to introduce the host of our show, Ian Cron. Ian, how are you doing today, brother? <laughs> oh, I am fine. Thank you. How are you? Good to see you. Good to see you. I have a question. Yep, hit me with it. How many professions have we had represented on typology over the years? Mm. Just name some. Let's name some. Okay. Uh, obviously, we're in Nashville. We've had quite a few musicians and songwriters. Oh, we've had tons of those, right? Yeah. Uh, therapists. Therapists. Uh, authors. Politicians. We had Governor Bill Haslam on. Yes. Uh, social justice reformers. Yep, we sure have. We've had all kinds of people on, right? Yep. But we've only up to date had one professional actor on our show, and that was Lisa Welchel. Lisa Welchel, yes. Right? Mm -hmm. But today, all that changes. <laughs> we have another one. We have another one. Today, we have our first male professional actor on the show typology and it is not an inconsequential one his name is josh radner yes josh is most famous for his role on the long-running hit sitcom how i met your mother and uh there's so much more i could say about his resume but it's so dang long it's ridiculous yeah it is uh at the moment uh, you can see him alongside Al Pacino as the Nazi hunter Lonnie Flash in Amazon's Hunters. Very cool. Right? Yes. And he is a... Enneagram 3 with a 4 wing. All right. But he's, but he's an unusual one. He is. So in the sense he's very evolved and he's very thoughtful. He knows the Enneagram. He's a friend of Richard Rohr's. This is a great episode. It really is. It really is. I'm excited to get to it. So let's do. Let's do it. Here's Josh Radner. Josh Radner, welcome to Typology. Thanks for having me. You are the first male professional actor we have ever had on Typology. Is that right? Did you ever hear this thing that uh, the director, David Fincher, is a super, super Enneagram um, devotee and that he asks people in final rounds of auditions to take Enneagram tests. Have you ever heard that? No, but I've heard of casting directors and actors who've used the Enneagram to yeah. prepare I think he, for roles. I think he likes the, the character and the, uh, and the actor to, to be the same number. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. So, so here's my, I have some suspicions. Uh, cl clearly, I think Johnny Depp is a four. Probably. Anyone who can play Edward Scissorhands, the patron saint of fours, must be yeah. know, a four. I, I, think, I, I, I think I mentioned I'm a four wing, and when I read the list of fours, of famous fours, a company I like being, <laughs> you know, Patty Smith and Rumi are kind of like, that's fine with me. <laughs> That's right. Well, in fact, Anthony and I are both fours. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. So this will probably end up being some kind of a pathos 
drip, you know, dripping sort of an experience for, for every, we will be the only three people who have enjoyed this show probably today. <laughs> We're going to um, light candles and journal. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> probably, and that would be fine. Take some writing yeah. and then share. Well, we'll talk a little bit, we can talk a little bit about actors and type later, but I do have some suspicions about different, uh, about different types. Um, yeah. So at, listen, at the front end of every show, I, I like to ask guests the, the same two questions. Obviously, the first one is, how did you learn about the Enneagram and how has it affected your life? Um, you know, it's such a strange word that you kind of remember when you first heard it. And you have to, when you tell people it and they don't know it, you have to spell it and they have to kind of write it down. It's, it's an odd word, but it's one of those words that did something in me. It kind of, um, you know, when you're, when there's a sacred mystery in front of you, I get intrigued by sacred mysteries. So I remember a friend of mine gave me a book on the Enneagram, a fairly famous book. I can't remember which one, but this was years ago. This was over a long over a decade ago. And I looked at it, but I don't know that I even took a test. I didn't figure out kind of what I was. And I don't know if it was the last couple of years because I started reading and studying with Richard Rohr, who uh, is a great, uh, well, he's a friend, mm -hmm. but he's also a spiritual hero of mine. And he, he uses the Enneagram and talks about the Enneagram, wrote a book about the Enneagram. So, um, I took a couple of tests and it kept coming back three with a four wing. So, right. you know, just to take a couple and kind of, you know, uh, cut out some of the variables. And then once I started reading about my types and then kind of getting intrigued, like what's my father, what's my mother, what are my sisters? And just kind of understanding where I come from or fit into this constellation of these numbers. And I also find, it's, it's something that strikes me as intuitively true, whereas some other uh, personality tests feel a little clinical or a mm -hmm. little like wonky, like, like scientists or laboratory, you know, it came, they came up with this stuff and it feels a little cold. There's something about the Enneagram I really like because I like that it's not flattering and I trust right. things that aren't flattering. You know, Richard says a great thing that, um, read the read the type descriptions and the one that humiliates you the most is probably what you are yeah you know? well it it's funny richard's a friend of mine and actually richard taught me the enneagram oh is that right wow yeah, yeah. so he was my sort of my first uh first mentor in in the world of uh the enneagram and didn't he learn it from the franciscans didn't they teach it to him uh probably from the jesuits oh the jesuits that's right yeah yeah um, okay, so that's how you first heard about it, and how, how has it affected your life? Well, okay, so, so <laughs> one of the things, I, there's a bit of a, there's a liberation in understanding that I am, that I have these factory settings, right? Because uh -huh. I, have a, I have a mind, and I don't know why this is, I have certain areas of my mind are incredibly compassionate and incredibly... Um, uh, prone to more healing ways of looking. And some of them are incredibly self-flagellating uh, and, and I can be very hard on myself. And I, I, I even will let someone off the hook for the very quality in them that I excoriate in myself, right? Um, 
And something about learning the Enneagram has helped me. So for instance, like being a three and realizing that on some part of my psyche, achievement is how I get love or achieve, or I replace, you know, admiration with love. Now that's a wound, but at the same time, rather than beating myself up for that and saying, I shouldn't be like this, mm-hmm. to say, I'm just one of these nine <laughs> personality types and it's my wiring and that there's a way within each type to evolve, right? There's unevolved of each one and there's evolved, as you obviously know. So rather than saying, I need to change my stripes, as it were, I can say, no, I have to work within the, the framework that I have, within the wound that I have, within all the talents and, and um, you know, virtues and all the things that are granted me, but also there's a way to be an unevolved three and there's a way to be a more evolved three. And just understanding that in terms of my programming helped me find some compassion for myself. Does that make sense? Yes. I, I, I always say, and our listeners will be tired of hearing me say it, but one of the gifts of the Enneagram for me was, was learning unconditional self-friendship. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And it took some time, uh, uh, but it, that's, that's, that's where it's brought me. I, I think you're right. I think when, when, when approached correctly, like the, the Enneagram is a map of, it's spiritual technology, really. It's, it's like a map of the human person that's actually meant to bring about spiritual evolution or transformation, you know? Right. So here's question two that I ask. Wait, I will. Can I add one thing? I yes, do please. Also, that when I learn, the more I learn about other types, it helps me be compassionate towards others. Like if, if someone wants to retreat into their room and with a lot of books and I go, they're not trying to ignore me. They're a five. They need to hunker down with right. information, right? right? Or my father's a one, you know, and he's incredibly moralistic. He's a, he's a very kind of black and white thinker. He's a, a guy, you know, he's a lawyer. He's a very justice kind of guy. And um, it gives me some compassion for him just seeing you, you know, he's not trying to um, be cruel in any way. He's actually articulating his worldview as it, as it is programmed in him, you know? That's right. Yeah. Most lawyers I've met are ones. Oh, is that right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them are. And that person who's gone to hide in the bedroom is Anthony Hopkins, who I think is a five. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, all you have to do is watch remains of the day and you, you pretty much. Oh Yeah. Like you meet a five, you know, and I don't know if he's that, and he's kind of that way in a lot of films, you know. Yeah. Um, I bet anyway. if you look at people's kind of iconic roles, the roles that they were the kind of the most identified with or the most lauded for, I bet their Enneagram matches up with the characters. Yeah, I, I think that's probably, probably true. Yeah. Yeah. So here's question two then. Knowing that this Enneagram is a, a map uh, of the, interior life of the human person that's that's meant to bring about or enable spiritual transformation how would you describe your spirituality through the lens of the enneagram just describe your spirit yeah you could through the lens of the enneagram but i'm just curious in general like how would you characterize your spirituality I mean, it's, it's, under, it's undergoing constant revision. So I'm just telling you where it is today. Great. You're, it's provisional. Yeah. Um, uh, 
to me, I feel like spirituality is a lot about dethroning ourselves from the center of the universe and humbling, let me speak about myself, dethroning myself from the center of the universe, humbling myself before both the needs of others, recognizing that I'm a part of a very big um, community on the earth, some of which I can see and a lot of which I can't, and also humbling myself before something so mysterious and so large that I can't, it leads to a breakdown in language. It's like St. Augustine said, if you can conceive of it, it's not God. Right. Like, so I, it was funny. I, I, I'm on a, uh, Marco Polo, this app where I'm with all my high school friends, about six guys that have been friends. We've been friends for years. And there's a running joke that my friend CH has an absolute allergy to the word blessing. He's a he's a staunch atheist. He came from a Catholic come from a Catholic family. Declared at eight, I'm not going to church anymore, mom and dad. I don't believe in any of this, and he stuck to it. You know, he's in his mid forties, and um, we had this back and forth. And he was trying to explain. He thinks the word blessing. It all started because my friend Matt made a toast, and he said it's a real blessing. We've been friends for so long, and CS went, "Ugh, blessing, blessing." <laughs> you know, like just just a total allergy to the word. And to me. Um, you know, he thinks that theological language, he thinks religion's a great ill on the planet, and it's infected even non-theological matters. And I, uh, via, you know, my phone, made this pitch, and I said, here's why I love the word blessing. You think it goes religion, then blessing. I think the word blessing is far older than religion. Mm -hmm. And the way I see blessing is, I'm not making my heart beat. I'm not, I, I'm not conscious of my breath. I'm not making the trees, the wind blow the leaves. The sun rises and falls every day without anything having to do with me. There's something so much bigger than me at work here. And at some level, I, the fact that I am conscious, that I can see it, appreciate it on whatever level I can, that I grew up with these people, that I'm talking to you right now, it all feels like this absolute miracle. I, I could just as easily not be here. So to me, I really like the word blessing and, and, and at some point, it, beyond all the mind chatter and the theories and ideas, I feel underneath that is just thank you. Like, like ultimately it's just gratitude for the very fact of being able to perceive, you know? Um, I, I don't know if that said anything, but that's where I am today. No, it's wonderful. Doc Hammarskjöld once said that the perfect prayer was thank you. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, I think there's a lot of truth to that. So I also had to, I'll just say this. I, I, I was brought, I was raised Jewish and I went to an Orthodox Hebrew day school. And I think my, as a lot of kids are the, my, my initial idea of God or spirit or whatever, it was, it was, it was, it was patriarchal. It was, it was punitive. Right. And my healing as an adult has been, you know, that's why Richard has been so healing for me in saying, religion is not a worthiness test, you know, right. and he right. said, God doesn't love us because we're good. God loves us because God is good. Right. <laughs> you know, just right. really, I didn't, I didn't grow up with a lot of talk of uh, mercy and grace, which have been two really, um, really important things for me to meditate on and, and, and metabolize in my life, really understanding what those are. I love that you as a three use the word dethroned. 
<laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, as you know, that ego inflation would come naturally to comes naturally to all of us. But for a three, I'm, uh, al I'm also a Leo. <laughs> Coming at it from all angles. Oh my gosh! Well, you know, here we are. Yeah. Um, so when I when I say that, because it sounds like your knowledge of your own threeness has affected your spirituality. It has. I. I. You know, uh, there's this wonderful um, prayer in twelve step programs called the Third Step Prayer, and one of the mm -hmm. lines. Is, free me of the bondage of self. And it's funny, we're in a culture that tells us, you know, more this, more that, more stuff, right? And um, I, I had the great good fortune of getting a lot of what I thought I wanted fairly young, you know? Um, and rather than it making me happy, I found myself more miserable than ever. And that was a great gift for me because I thought, wait a second, this isn't whatever society told me to get. I just, I got it all. And I'm more unhappy than I was when I was nearly broke living in a $750 a month, one bedroom apartment, you know? Hmm. So what is, what is going on? And I had to puncture a lot of cultural myths and a lot of lies. Um, but chief among them was that, uh, and I still, I am not, I am no, saint sage yogi type character i am constantly i mean literally every day having to learn this lesson and remind myself that me on the throne is a recipe for disaster you know um and and it's so funny when when i you know you, you have a friend in distress or something and you take that call but you kind of don't want to or you're a little bit busy and then on the other side of just getting out of yourself for a half hour is just i always feel lighter and better so I have to fight my natural impulse to be the protagonist of the entire universe. Right. Know? Well, then that's a 12 step idea, right? Being the director rather than uh, an actor uh, in, in the play, you know? Yeah. So that's, uh, that's really well said. So the, the unconscious motivation of threes, right? Is this need it's, and it's like every other number, right? It's a compulsive need. It has an addictive quality to it. Uh, this need to succeed, to appear successful, and to avoid failure at at all costs, right? Yeah. Um, so if that's, I'm assuming that resonates with you as a three. Does that sound yeah, right? For sure, yeah. So um, how do you think, or what childhood experience do you think led you to adopt the performer-achiever personality type? That's a great question, but I, I, I have a question for you before I answer that. Okay. How much of our Enneagram number is nature versus nurture? Is there a moment we become a three or do we come in with our factory settings? So I think the answer is yes. Um, I, I think uh, we do come with hardwiring, uh, genetics, biology, in the bone and the blood. Um, so we come with certain tendencies and proclivities. Uh, there are, I mean, cultural influences are enormous. Familial uh, experiences, trauma can inform personality type. Um, and so I think there are countless forces at play in the 
construction of a of a personality yeah okay um yeah i mean some some of it feels to me like i i brought some of this in and i could probably scan through a number of um uh, experiences that were formative in in a lot of ways and and i don't we'll probably get into this a little bit but i don't want to discount my four wing which is um, something that's happening to me as I'm getting older, I'm identifying more with fourness than threeness yeah, as I'm getting older. And some of that has to do with what Richard talks about, you know, the, the two halves of life, the loyal soldier, which feels to me very three. You know, you're gathering um, uh, the, the things that make you reflect well upon you, the things that make you look good, that you've got it all together, that you're a success. Uh, and the second half of life is, is a much more internal, quieter process. Which, which feels to me like the, a bit of a transition from a three to a four, at least in my own experience. But I would say when I was younger, my father's a one and my mother's a two. And, um, you know, uh, I had a, a very stable, safe upbringing in terms of um, a lot of things that can go wrong in a childhood didn't, that wasn't my house. And I, and I say this, I want to say this all with like love for my parents. You know, I never want to sure. sound like I'm condemning. But... I never, I felt my parents' love most acutely when I was succeeding. Mm -hmm. I felt my parents' love when I got the A+, plus, when the parent-teacher conference was glowing, when I finally got on stage as an actor and brought, uh, you know, um, brought some glory to the Radner family name. And uh, there, there, you know, I, I, I suppose I... I knew I was loved because I knew my parents. My my parents, I think, um, like a lot of Jewish parents, equate worry with love. You know, right. worry about you so much, therefore we love you. And I, when I read um, the the three for the first, you know, when I really started to go deep into the characteristics of a three, I thought, I think that's just called being a Jewish male. You know, <laughs> like we're 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 kind of programmed to just go for it and and and. Um, you know, uh, but 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 I, I I remember moments of looking out at the audience and seeing my parents beaming at me, and sure. they would beam at me in a way that they wouldn't if I, it was just us. You know, like I almost had to catch them in the act of loving me in a particular way, and it seemed to be a tied to it seemed to be tied largely to achievement and. Um, I'm also open to the fact that I am misdiagnosing my childhood and you, you know what I'm saying? Like I, this is just my assessment of it from where I am today. But, um, it wasn't just my parents. It was, you know, I've always, I was always a really good student. I, I wanted love from the teacher by being excellent. I wanted to be admired by my classmates as being a leader and a, and a, um, you know, a model kind of citizen student. Right. Um, and as I've gotten older, I've found my own way of uh, rebelling and expressing that doesn't feel tied to the opinion of other people. And in, in, in another way, getting some fame as an actor really helped annihilate some of my worst tendencies as a three, because when, when you're on a you know, hit show for nine years and all these people are weighing in, some of those people really love you. 
some of those people really don't for reasons which you'll never quite understand. And some of the, a lot of people don't care about you. So it just exposed me to a, a, a grand kind of, it was like exposure therapy, right? Where my right. biggest fear was people hating me, misunderstanding me, thinking I was something I wasn't. All of that has happened. And I'm still here feeling relatively sane today. So, you know, uh, it, it helped puncture a lot of that stuff for me. Yeah, you know, I, twos, threes, and fours are the most image conscious numbers on the Enneagram. Uh, and I was wondering how you had managed to keep that potential weakness in check in an industry that is so image conscious, um, or if you still struggle with it. I still struggle with it. You know, uh, I, I recognize we are in a momentous time. I, 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 I see how much suffering and um, pain there is out there. I'm, I'm going through my own process of uh, rigorous self-examination. However, during this quarantine time, my mood has been relatively up. And I've been like, why is that? And I realized I'm not picking out outfits to go meet people. I'm not meeting people about casting. I'm not having to sit down in front of a hair and makeup thing first thing in the morning and have people fuss over my face and hair. There's something about being unhooked from the objectification aspect mm -hmm. of what I do that has made me feel quite, uh, quite buoyant. And um, I had a really interesting, a friend of mine for my birthday got me an astrology reading with a really terrific uh, astrologer. And uh, he, he said, I have all this fire in my charts. I have, I have Leo and Sagittarius rising and Sagittarius moon. So it's just nothing but fire, but I have about eight planets in cancer. So I've got all this watery private depth at the same time. And he said, that's the central tension of my chart is a kind of look at me. Don't look at me thing. He right. said, it, it's like, it's like I'm pushed out. I go out on stage and I say, hello world. I'm a very private person. You know, there's this need to tell everyone how private I am, you know, that, that some of that is like the three pushes me out and the four is the part of me that's a writer yes. that wants to observe and be in the corner rather than the center of the party. Yeah, there, it's, a, it's a, so three, four or four, three is a pretty tortured combination. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and, and the reason is just for, in part for what you said. So the three in you is saying, uh, I thirst for admiration. Uh, to be seen. Uh, I equate success with love. Yeah. Um, and um, so I'm going to go out there and I'm going to absolutely kill it. I'm going to win this room. And knowing that you've been on Broadway in addition to film, right? You know, in live theater, I would imagine is you're getting instant feedback. I mean, you know, from the room. Yeah. So it's like, I am going to go crush this baby. And then you leave the stage and I bet you right after a curtain call, as you're walking off the stage, that little four voice goes, you liar, you, <laughs> you fooled them again. And the three is saying, I'm just trying to make a living. <laughs> you know? I, I, I recognize that voice. It's, it's dimmed because I've gotten more, uh, I've been doing this for 20 years. So as I've become more of a veteran, I have less of the, the fraud voice. I will say that one of the things my four does when I, get off of a big, um, like if I have to do press for a new TV show or have to go to a 
party or there's a red carpet or any of these things that I don't even do a ton of, but, but when I do, when it's required, I have to do them. I will do it. My three will take over and I'll do it and I'll come home and I will be utterly depleted. Like, like as if I've, I've been, you know, doing physical labor for hours, I'll have to immediately take off the clothes, which feel covered in a kind of false, you know, dust. I'll, I'll, I'll sage myself. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> there's this feeling of needing to get whatever it was off of me, you know? Right. Um, and I think that's more where it, where the, the, the tension between the three and the four are. Yeah. It's a pretty big tension and yeah. four and, th- and four, three has it as, as well. I will say when I was a younger actor, and it's less acute now, but I still have it, part of the four, and correct me if I'm wrong, but part of the driving motivation of the four is to be unique. Yeah, special and unique. And to not, yeah, special and unique and not be thought of as just a nameless face in the crowd, right? When I was first starting acting, my least favorite thing in the world was walking into an audition waiting room with 12 other guys who looked vaguely like me. It wow. just me. I just thought, who, cast any of us. We're all wearing suits and we all have dark hair. Like, what does it matter, you know? And I noticed that I would book roles. I actually would book roles when I was either the only person in the waiting room, so I didn't get that in my head, or I was the only man in the waiting room. Women didn't throw me because I didn't see anyone else there auditioning for my role. But something about when I thought of myself as fungible, you know, when I thought of myself as a person who wasn't, special and unique, I, I somehow lost my nerve. So, you know, we talk about wings uh, as being, you know, sort of heavy, balanced, or light. Mm. Uh, so I'm a four, but I have a very strong three wing. There's a very ambitious side to me, yeah. right? Um, and, and yet, trust me, my unconscious motivation is definitely four. But I can remember thinking, it's almost like a dial, like, like on a safe, you know, there's no such thing as a pure type. So, you you know, you could dial just a little bit to the right of three or halfway to four, you you know what I mean? And so, you know, you may have a very heavy four wing, you know, that is, is so heavy that maybe sometimes it's hard to distinguish between three and four. It it, it sometimes can be like a day, like, wow, I'm having a four day today. I'm having a three day today. You know, they're, they're, they sometimes really come out and express themselves in different circumstances. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So my dad worked in, in film and television and uh, he was a three with a three wing. I'm not fooling. I've never met a three quite like my dad. Um, And I'm wondering, is there a particular Enneagram type you repeatedly run into in the entertainment industry? Uh, I think it's, I think there's a lot of threes and fours. I think a lot of the people who work in the industry, but not in front of the camera, uh, hair and makeup is a lot of twos. Right. Wardrobes, a lot of twos, you know, the people that are, are really there helping and, um, and even doing a lot of like emotional handholding, right? Right. Yeah. A lot of histrionics too. Right. Like, like hair and makeup people should get paid extra for being therapists because they hear, they hear all of it, you know? Um, I imagine there's a lot of, uh, producers who are ones, uh, probably a lot of writers who are, well, three, fours and fives are writers. I've, I've come across a number of sevens. There's a lot of enthusiasts in show business. 
Um, uh, yeah, I think I think it's more though twos, threes, and fours. Is for, in my experience that that showbiz is a little more that, and which would make sense, right? Those image conscious numbers. Yeah. Right. You know, um, if you want to watch a great documentary about a, a real proper three, that uh, that that Taylor Swift documentary, Miss Americana. Saw it. No, I saw it. She's an. It's a case study in a three, isn't it? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I loved it, by the way. I thought it was terrific. Did you like it? I did like it. Yeah. There were other ones that I've liked more, um, but you really did get a bead on what she's like or what she perceives herself or to, wants to be perceived. To yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So it's funny when I watch certain films or TV shows and I, by the way, people ask me all the time, like when you walk into a room, do you type everybody or do you, when you meet somebody, do you type? And the answer is absolutely not. I, it, it's not the first, it's not at the foreground of my thinking all the time. Yeah. You know? um, but when I watch certain films or TV shows, I, I often will see characters who exemplify or embody Enneagram types. You know, I think uh, like uh, the one that always strikes me is the movie Lady Bird. Uh-huh. You know, like where the mother is clearly a one. Right. Right. The daughter is clearly a four. Yeah. And dad is clearly a nine. Right. Right. You know? Right. And um, so, so a question I, I, I've had, I have for you, and we mentioned it earlier. Can Go I ahead. say one thing? I yeah. think that uh, it would be a great thing if writers of uh, playwrights, screenwriters know the Enneagram. I mean, it's such a good shorthand for looking at uh, character motivation and also right. where clashes would happen. I mean, a, that's a, a four and a one clash is terrific. Oh yeah. You can get that. There's a lot of juice in that, you know, mm -hmm. I also noticed, um, you know, I have a, I have a good relationship with my parents and, and, but there's always been this tension that I said to my father, uh, last summer when I was home, I said, do you know about the four love languages or five love languages? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my love language, the same with my older sister is physical touch and, um, words of affirmation. My parents are literally the other three. They're, <laughs> their gifts, their time spent, and their um, acts of service. My mom is a very not physically affectionate person. My, you know, really? Yeah, so, so I have these love needs that I hear love when I hear words of affirmation and when someone you know, tenderly touches me. My mom, you know will stock the fridge with your, you know, your favorite food when you get home. She'll sew any button on any shirt that has fallen off. Uh, I told my parents real uh, briefly, I said, you know, I've decided my favorite uh, dessert is key lime pie. I got home the next night. There's a slice of key lime pie waiting for me because they were at a restaurant and it was on the menu and they brought me home a slice. I had to pause and go, that key lime pie is them saying, we love you. Right. But they're not going to grab me by the shoulders and look me in the eye and say, we love you. We're so proud of you. They're going to get me a slice of key lime pie. So I, 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 I've had to adjust. I've had to almost uh, interpret them, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the gifts of the Enneagram, right? Is that it gives you insight into people's motivations, which... And then, you know, when things don't go well, it means you don't have to take it so personally. That's right. 
Right. And yeah. when things do go well, you can just celebrate how they're hardwired. Right. Richard, Richard said that he has saved many marriages by telling people and explaining Enneagram to them. Oh yeah, totally. I've, I've actually come close to splitting up some marriages <laughs> as a result, you know, like this is not going to go well. Yeah, in yeah. fact, in fact, and usually the, the couple that has the hardest time, and I believe any two healthy, self-aware, evolved people of any type can, can get along great in a relationship. But man, two fours, oh my Lord, that, that is a lot of work. Um, right. More, more work than, than usual. Yeah. Um, I heard a so, phrase I really liked that someone said, every relationship needs a gardener and a flower. Yes. And, yeah. and it's, right. it's hard to have two flowers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it, it's very hard to have two types who feel as though they are unredeemably deficient with a gigantic hole in the middle of their soul, trying to get the other to complete them. It right. rarely works out. I always say two fours is like six weeks of incredible sex in Paris, followed by 20 years of hating each other. You know what I'm saying? Like drunk and hating. It's like Simone de Beauvoir, you know, it just gets really, really crazy. You know? wolf or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I, I've actually spoken to casting directors and, one director that do use the Enneagram. Um, and I'm wondering, have you ever used the Enneagram when you were preparing for a role? Um, I don't know that I have directly. I, I, I think I probably looked back and, um, and, and, and assessed. Um, one of the things though, if I'm going to get a role, it's kind of in me. Something's in me that resonates with that. One thing that I have used that a friend of, uh, came up with with a, a friend of his is he says all characters, you can say they're either children, animals, or machines. And the arc of a child is to mature and grow up. The arc of the machine is to thaw and become warmth, uh, find some warmth and emotionality. And the arc of the animal is to become civilized. So you can look at Luke Skywalker as a child, Darth Vader's a machine, and Han Solo is an animal, up until the point where he literally has an animal kind of with him. Right, right. You can even do um, Bill Clinton's an animal, George W. Bush was a child, and Obama's a machine. You know, kind of professorial thing. So um, I have looked, a lot of my earlier career, uh, I played a lot of children. A lot of lost boy man, you know, man, yeah. yeah. A lot of Peter Pan stuff, um, and then after uh, the last couple of years, I played some machines, and then this role. I'm I'm on a show with Al Pacino right now called Hunters on Amazon, and it's my first animal. I mean, the guy's like, you know, full, you know, mustache. He's he's um, very uh, sexual, libidinous kind of guy. Right, right. Uh, no filter. Um, just a kind of lusty man of appetites. And it's been so much fun. It's felt like a liberation because I haven't played an animal. Mm. You know? Right. So, so there's different ways of thinking about it, but um, that's one that's been pretty useful for me over the last couple of years. So one of the things you said that's so fascinating to me um, as a therapist and as an Enneagram teacher is when I'm around some threes, especially younger threes, and Anthony, you've heard me say this, um, Sometimes when I look in their eyes, I call it the lost boy look. Mm-hmm. And, and it's actually, it's a, it's a, how would I say? 
it's it's a sad kind of um, yearning look. Mm. Um, even though the game is going and the, the you know they they could be working the room like you know like they're running for mayor, but I, you can sometimes look in their eyes and see sort of a sad child, a, a lost boy or or girl. So it's so interesting that you said that because I've I've sort of made that observation about about threes before. Yeah. Um, well, I think it also has something to do with being seen. Yes. You know, are you being seen, and how are you going to get seen? You know, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, ultimately, the Enneagram you could say very broadly is about how do we secure love? Oh yeah. How do we secure our safety? Right. And right. for for the threes, it's you know, well, you better become president or win a, a bunch of awards or be a Fortune 500 CEO. You know? Right. Those right. are the only options. <laughs> right. Or, or the dawn of a mafia family. So it's, all, it's purely oh, contextual. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because right. not, not everybody wants, not every three wants to be like the CEO of Goldman Sachs, right? It, right. it just depends on whatever cultural context you happen to find yourself in. Hey, everybody. One of the lessons I've learned over the years is that not everybody benefits from a traditional 50-minute counseling session. And this is why some people can go to couples therapy or personal counseling for a long time and never really get anywhere. This is why I'm such a believer of intensive counseling and my friends at Restoring the Soul in Colorado, created by my longtime friend Michael Cusick to help couples or individuals experience deep change and have day blocks over one or two weeks. Now listen, if you can't wait months or years to get to the bottom of an issue or to experience breakthrough, you need to get in touch with my friend Michael and his extraordinary team of counselors at Restoring the Soul. If you're looking to get out of the rut you're in but can't wait months or years, call Restoring the Soul today for a free consultation with Michael's staff. Call 303-932-9777 and learn how their intensive counseling process can help you. As a special bonus, just for Typology listeners, make sure to visit www.restoringthesoul.com slash typology to download their PDF called Five Ways Unaddressed Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationships. Now, you're also a musician, right? Yeah. And you're, you're in a band with uh, Ben Lee called Radner and Lee, right? Yes, yes. And you have a new release. I think it dropped in May. Is that uh, right? We pushed it. Uh, not that this is a better time to release an album. But right. We pushed Oops. it. Too. <laughs> it's coming out in a week, actually, uh, on uh, June 19th. But you have an album out called Outside In. Is that correct? Uh, that's just a, That's the first single from the second record. We haven't... Okay. Uh, the first record's called Radner and, Lee, but Radner and Lee, but the second record is called Golden State, and the second song on it, which we already released, is called um, Outside In. Okay, so I listened to Outside In about 12 times today. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I really, I'm a, you know, I live in Nashville. Uh, I used to be a songwriter. And, and so I, I just thought, I want to know this guy a little bit better. And there's really no way to get to know somebody better, more efficiently in three minutes and 30 seconds than listening to something that they've written, right? Sure. And um, I'm curious to know, I'm gonna, I just want to talk about this song for a second. Yeah, First of all, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know the story and the meaning, and I hate to ask that question because who wants to parse their own poetry, but what's the story and meaning for you behind that song? You know, I brought Ben a half-written song that we took 
a bunch of verses from and rebuilt a song around it called Outside In. I think I had um, made some stuff. I got um, I made some stuff. Um, got called a fool. There's no way to sidestep ridicule by the lonely and the angry. Oh, no, 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 he wrote that. By the lonely and the angry on the message boards, making me nostalgic for being ignored. I wrote, I want to thicken my skin, stand tall and free, build a house from the bricks people throw at me, mm-hmm. uh, which is a line I had read somewhere I, I steal all the time. But um, it started from this idea of being a maker of things and knowing that people are going to judge you and love you and hate you and and that there's some sort of um, spiritual experience you can have um, by being an artist who weathers that. Right. Um, and I can't remember if it was me or Ben who came up with this concept of outside in, but, but just this idea of, um, I think I had some of those earlier verses, you know, can I bear my moods and like my hair, you know, <laughs> just like, can I, can I really deal with myself and stop gathering my opinion of myself from external sources? Yes. Which is, it's a three thing, but yeah. it's a very universal kind of thing. Yeah. I think that's why that song lands on people. It's just like, who hasn't felt that or experienced all that? See, okay, so that actually is affirming to me. I, because sometimes, as you know, you write a book or you write a song, and as an unintended consequence, people project meaning or templates, meaning templates onto them that aren't, were not intended by the artist, right? And that's great, actually. That's part of the mystery of art, right? But when I, here's the chorus. I want people to hear the, the chorus to this song. It's, I'm so sick of living from the outside in, never going deeper than the outside in. How am I ever going to love anything if I'm living from the outside in? And it struck me as I was listening to that, that the language there, the, the, the signaling there was very, very three. <laughs> um, because, as you know, when they're at their worst, right? Like threes tend to care more about appearance than substance. They, they care more about seeming than being, uh-huh. right? Um, and when I was reading it, I was thinking, this sounds like an evolved three singing about I'm tired, uh, I'm sick of living from the outside in. Yeah. Because, because the journey for the three in part is learning how to live from the inside out. Right. You know? And um, so I, Again, you know, I guess who we are leaks into the art that we make in ways that we we don't know, you know, like the source, you know. But yeah. I love the song. I just encourage everybody to go listen to Outside In. Uh, it it really – what's the – is it on Golden State? It's on is Golden State. Golden State's coming out June 19th. Okay. Well, everybody on June 19th, go go and buy Golden State, but go check out now on Spotify, Outside In. It's, it's – uh, it's a terrific song, and actually, kind of in a medicine, you know, medicine show crow kind of way. It was really fun, Wilco-y kind of way. It was fantastic. Yeah. I really like um, uh, putting very substantive, maybe even slightly acidic lyrics up against a kind of really catchy tune. Mm. Yes, you know, like your 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 toes are tapping along, and you're grooving to something, and then you hear it after four listens, and you go, oh it kind of smuggles in it's a, it's an effective way of kind of sugarcoating something yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely well i mean tell us i mean now we're here we are in covid um 
you're at home, you've expressed, you know, what, what it's been like for you. Uh, now you don't have to worry about never working again as an actor. No actors are working. Um, and uh, I, uh, I've actually, I feel guilty saying it. I mean, not to diminish any of the human tragedy involved. I've loved it. I mean, for me to be home and just to have the space to do my own work, thinking about writing, thinking, you know, all that stuff has been kind of very beautiful for me. Um, but I, I, have a, I have a question for you, actually, that just came to me. Have you ever had a major crash or failure and then how did you recover from it? Um, well, I told, I told, I don't know if I want to do this whole story, but I got, I got fired from my first TV pilot. I shot it and it got picked up, but they, they didn't pick me up with it. I just got lot left, you know, and they recast it and went on and did it. And it didn't end up being, it didn't end up changing the world, that show. And I did, I landed on my feet, but it was, um, you know, I was so unstudied at failure at that point. And that was, I was what, 26 maybe when that happened, 27. Um, I feel, you know, I had a, a fairly sheltered childhood. I had grandparents die, but we, I didn't have, you know, tragedy kind of hit our family like an asteroid kind of thing that just didn't happen. So I feel like I've had to as an adult, and I, I do believe that if you if you take a body, if you're born, you're you're going to have tragedy in your life. You're going to lose people you love. You're going to have massive disappointments and setbacks. You're going to um, feel betrayal. You're going to betray someone. You know, there. It's just suffering is on the menu, truly, yeah. of the human experience. Yeah. So I had to go out and just live a little bit more, and gather some grief. You know, mm -hmm. I, I've lost friends to suicide. Um, I have had real career frustrations or disappointments. Um, I've had, you know, friendships have, uh, lost really hard breakups. Um, you know, I just had to, um, I had to get tenderized in a way because, yeah. because in some ways my, my out, my, I'd always been kind of constitutionally optimistic, but I realized that there was, I was doing a lot of spiritual bypassing. You know, mm -hmm. I was doing a lot of, well, we should just look on the bright side. You know, I, I get real frustrated when I'm trying to express some sort of grief or sadness and someone says like, just be happy or, you know, like, yeah, uh, right. as if like, just we can law of attraction our way out of grief, which mm -hmm. I think is absurd. So um, I now feel that when I speak about sadness or suffering, I... I know it more acutely and I know it personally for myself and I can be with other people's sadness without trying to move them out of it. So I feel better. That's, that's a all. That's all for. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. Like the, the four, one of the, the superpowers of the four, like I can sit Shiva like nobody's business. Uh -huh. I, I can, you know, you're dying. Call me. Right. Don't call it. Don't call it two. They'll bring a puppy. My thing yeah. is, you know, if, if you're, if you're, if you're in the crapper, call me, I, I can just, just be with you. I'll make the tea and be with you. Say what you, what you need. Uh, I won't judge or, you know. That's probably, like I, I suspect, and correct me if I'm wrong, I suspect there's something about death 
disease, grief, that is incredibly authentic because it's personal, right? Mm -hmm. So there's no, everyone's having their own grief experience. So I feel like a four would be attracted to that space where that candle, that vigil is being held. Yes, yeah. We like to be anywhere where there's birth happening, liminal places, right? Where sort of like death and birth and ritual and all these sort of, you know, strange places where other people typically feel very uncomfortable. Uh, And that's why fours often make great songwriters or actors because they can take people into dark spaces uh, or emotions that they've either disowned or didn't know existed prior to them hearing or seeing it. You know, Ben, Ben Lee might actually be a four, the more I'm thinking about this, but he, he took a death midwifery course (laughs) and wrote an entire album about death. Yeah. 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 Sounds like it. Yeah. Sounds like a seven would not write that record. (laughs) (laughs) That's not where the party is. No, that is not where the party is. No, not at all. Um, Well, I, um, I have really enjoyed uh, our conversation and we haven't even, we didn't even hit some of the stuff that I would love at some point to revisit with you because Jonathan Merritt said we have, you and I have so much to talk about in, in terms of spirituality and, uh, that we share some similar views and passions and ideas and curiosities about about those things. So I hope we get a chance to do that at some point down the road. Absolutely. And I, I've been uh, I, I'm I'm very in love with Nashville. I spent most of December there. So if I come back, I'll I'll look you up. We can maybe do it in person or grab a lunch. Oh yeah, totally. I'll let you buy me lunch. I even know the best restaurants. Sure, for sure. What? Uh, is there any way for people to learn more about what you're doing right now? Maybe with the band, can they, where do they go? Where do they? Well, uh, Radner and Lee is across all, um, uh, you know, uh, social media. It's just Radner and Lee everywhere. Um, I started a YouTube channel for my own stuff. I, I have my own songs that I'm, uh, I'm going to release an EP later in the summer. Um, and probably the best way is, uh, I write these things called muse letters where, about once a month or once every two months, I just write a kind of essay, a snapshot of where I am and what's going on and how I'm struggling and my breakthroughs and all that. And and I link to a lot of um, things that I've been reading or, or listening to or watching that have been inspiring me. So a lot of people really seem to get a lot of that. And the, the sign up for the Muse letters is on my Twitter page and on my Instagram page. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I uh, I look forward to our lunch or dinner in, in yeah. Nashville. Thanks for having me. It was a really nourishing conversation. I enjoyed this. Yeah, I feel I feel fuller and uh, better for it. So that's always a good sign. Typology uh, listeners, uh, thank you always. We we love you. We're grateful for you. And remember the words of the great Oscar Wilde: "Be yourself. Everybody else is already taken." Until next time.